You're listening to Disc 2 on the series of the Elementary Principles of the Messiah and Daniel's message on the Resurrection of the Dead, Part 1. Enjoy! Well, shalom, everyone. Uh, today we're, we're going to be dealing with an elementary principle of the Messiah. Uh, these principles, you can reference these in Hebrews chapter 5. The one we're going to be addressing today is actually known as the resurrection of the dead. Now, the resurrection of the dead tends to be a controversial topic, not necessarily in regard to the fact uh, that the righteous go to heaven, but more so in regard to as when they go to heaven or when they are resurrected. And uh, I'd like to pose some questions. The first, what happens, I want you to think about this for a second, what happens when the righteous die? I mean, where do we go? Are we going to see a bright light? Are we going to hear glorious music? Are we going to witness angelic beings escorting us as we pass from this life to the next? Upon death, are we immediately resurrected into the kingdom of heaven? Or when we die, do our bodies stay buried in the earth, the ground, waiting for a universal resurrection at the return of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. You know, I think it's safe to say that everyone at some point in their life, and as you get older, it happens more frequently, it seems, has thought about where he or she will go when moving from this life to the next. The majority of Christians are of the belief that when you die, you either immediately go to heaven or you immediately go to hell. Or if you're of the Catholic faith, you may end up in uh, purgatory, state of purification. Now, the Word of God is not elusive, answering the outcome of those who die. It's just the opposite. The Word of God makes it abundantly clear what will happen to us when we die. And we're going to journey from Genesis to Revelation to search out the truth about the dead both the righteous and the wicked. And if we are searching for the truth as to what happens when we die, I think it's only appropriate that we first seek out how first life began. And there's no better place to start than in Genesis, right? So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So here we see what we are and how life began. We see how our maker has composed us. We are dust and breath. You know, it's amazing to me that God himself breathed into us the breath of life, and then all of a sudden we become living beings. Do you know that the greatest minds in the medical field cannot explain what initiates the heart to start contracting, to start beating? And yet, if you were to ask my four-year-old daughter, she's able to accurately tell you exactly what initiates the heart to start beating. She would tell you it's the breath of God. You know, at the very moment where the Most High breathes life into us, we become living beings. 
Without the breath of God, man cannot exist. He cannot live. And we find this to be true in our next verse. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Okay, so here we see what happens when we die. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the breath, or spirit, will return to God who gave it. Now, the word for spirit here is the word ruach. means wind or breath. It means spirit. And we see great examples given in Scripture in regard to this ruach, this spirit, returning to our Father who gave it. And I want to look at these examples because this is going to help you understand what happens to us when we die. Acts 7, verse 59 says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, listen to this, he fell asleep. Okay, so here we see Stephen, who is just about to die, ask Yeshua to receive his spirit. See, Stephen understood this elementary principle. Stephen knew scripture. He knew truth. He knew that his spirit would return to the Father. I want to take you to another example in Scripture of the exact same event occurring. In Luke uh, chapter 23, verse 46, And when Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So here we see even Yeshua, who came as a man in the flesh, right? Committing his spirit into the Father's hands. Now, let me ask you a question. When Stephen and Yeshua died, where did they go? What does Scripture say when Stephen died? It says that he fell asleep. Plainly speaking, he went to the grave. So if Stephen wasn't going to the grave but rather he himself was going to ascend into heaven, don't you think Scripture would have indicated that? Well, of course it would. Now, let's ask ourselves another question. Did Yeshua, immediately after committing his spirit to the Father, ascend into heaven? Well, the answer is an obvious one. No, he didn't. Actually, we see three days after his death, Yeshua presents himself upon his resurrection to Mary. And this is what he says, John chapter 20, verse 17, Yeshua says, Yeshua said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. So what happened to Yeshua when he gave up his spirit, when he asked his Father, when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? Very simply, Yeshua went to the grave. I don't think any believer who testifies that Jesus is the Christ would dispute that Jesus rested in the grave for three days. He was resurrected on the third day. James tells us this in uh, James 2, verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, 
So faith without works is dead also. So when the spirit leaves your body, what happens? You die. It's as simple as that. Without the breath of God, man cannot live. We see that Stephen and Yeshua were dead because the breath or the spirit did what? Returned to God who gave it. Now Job does a, uh, does a remarkable job of articulating this whole process in detail of what happens to us after we die where we are and when we are going to be resurrected and he kind of takes the this this whole subject matter and sums it up for us beautifully and i want to look at this job chapter 14 verse 10 this is this is what he says listen to what he says but man dies and is laid away indeed he breathes his last and where is he I mean, what a question to ask, right? This is a rhetorical question. This is a very Jewish way of teaching, asking yourself questions, teaching through questions. So he asks the question, and where is he? As water, as water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise, okay? Now listen, till the heavens are no more they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep verse 13 oh that you would hide me in the grave that you would conceal me until your wrath this is speaking of the wrath of the land that you read about in revelation until your wrath is past that you would appoint me a set time and remember me if a man dies shall he live again Again, he's asking these questions, and then he answers it. All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. Verse 15, you shall call, and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. Now, this is a very intense passage because it is inundated with prophetic references to the second coming of the Mashiach, and the resurrection of the dead. We see in these passages that man lies down and does not rise until the heavens are no more. Until the day of the Lord. Now, there are four statements that Job makes in this passage that are literally quoted by the apostles in our New Covenant scriptures. And we're going to look at each one of these paralleled statements made by the apostles which are taken directly from this passage in Job. Okay, so we're going to go back here. Turn back with me to Job 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. And again it says, So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So here we see Peter's statement echoing exactly what Job states. 
It's a statement that signifies the resurrection of the dead. When the heavens pass away, the elements melt with fervent heat. It is the day of the Lord. Now, we are told in Job that the dead will not rise until this happens. Let's, we're going to go to the rest of verse 12. So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. Now listen, they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. Now listen to Paul's discourse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Verse 14, For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Yeshua. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16, For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We see that those who have fallen asleep are going to be resurrected, but not until the return of the Lord. Now Paul clarifies at the beginning of the passage that he doesn't want the brethren in Thessalonica to be ignorant concerning this matter. That's how he opens up the statement. I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep. The children of God are to know exactly what happens to us when we die. We as children of God were to know this information. You know, the Father did not want us to be in the dark. He did not want us to be divided on this subject. And we are not to sorrow for our fellow believers who have fallen asleep or who have died as the world sorrows for their loved ones. Because we are to know that we are going to be reunited with them at the last trumpet. For God will raise them up and they will not be lost. Now let's go back to Job in verse uh, 14, chapter 14. And he says, If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. Did you get that? Till my change comes. Now listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. Chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we all, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We see here in these passages that we as believers will remain in the grave until the event of the last trumpet. We will not be made incorruptible until that last trumpet sounds. Now, I don't believe there's any way I could possibly describe the emotional feeling that mankind, that the believers are going to experience on, at the day of the Lord, when the earth quakes and the dead are literally raised 
from the graves. You know, the world is going to be in awe. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now this verse is one of many that will help you formulate an accurate eschatological understanding. You know, if you're a fan of the Left Behind series, you need to know the ideology in that series is fiction. I'm telling you, it's complete fiction. This secret rapture theology cannot be substantiated anywhere in Scripture. But on the contrary, we find that the second coming of the Lord will be anything but secret. This passage in Revelation just told us that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. The Bible, you guys, is not elusive in regard to eschatological events that are going to take place. This knowledge is for you. It's for the believer. Christians ought not to obtain their eschatological understanding from fictional books, right? Let's go back to Job, chapter 14, verse 15. Job continues to say, You shall call, he's referring to the Lord, You shall call, and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. Listen to what Yeshua says, because he draws from this. In John chapter 5, verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There is coming a day when all the righteous will hear the voice of Yeshua. They're going to hear him call, and they're going to answer him. Now we also see Yeshua mention a different resurrection here. The resurrection of condemnation. The resurrection of condemnation is the resurrection of the wicked. You know, this verse plainly indicates that the wicked, as most are led to believe, they don't go straight to hell. Rather, they too wait in the grave for his voice. And I'm going to expound on the resurrection of the wicked uh, in the coming weeks. But I want to look at a passage in Acts. I want to take you there where we see Paul defending himself before Felix because some were testifying falsely against him. This is found in Acts 24, verse 14. And there's an interesting topic here. It says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Verse 15. I have hope in God which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and and the unjust. So here we see Paul mention the exact same thing that Yeshua mentioned in John chapter 5. A resurrection of not just the just, 
But there is also a resurrection of the unjust, of the wicked. Now the very subject of the resurrection of the dead, it, it has been one that has been disputed for thousands of years. Unfortunately, it isn't anything new. We see in Scripture that the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Paul's day had conflicting ideology in regard to the dead. And we get great insight in, into this in the 23rd chapter of Acts. And this is, we're going to see Paul in this passage, we're going to see Paul is brought before the Sanhedrin. And both the Pharisees and Sadducees are present. Now look what happens uh, as Paul is brought before them. This is amazing. Acts 23, verse 6. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Verse 7. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Now, if you read the rest of the story, you'll see that the Pharisees came to Paul's defense. They were upholding their strongest beliefs of the resurrection of the dead. It was a pillar of this Pharisaic doctrine. I hope you realize just how significant this subject really is. Now, in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, we find the Sadducees, uh, who held so tightly to the belief that there was no resurrection of the dead or spirit, approach Yeshua thinking they would prove their theology uh, superior to, to Yeshua's by challenging Yeshua's thought in regard to the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees present a story of which a woman had not one husband, not two, but actually seven during her lifetime. So they think they have Yeshua backed into a corner by what is thought to be a clever question. And here it is, Matthew 22, verse 28. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And Yeshua responds, listen to his response in verse 32. Yeshua answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, now listen, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I'm astonished at what Yeshua says here to the to the Sadducees, where he says in verse 29, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. I mean, think about this. Could you imagine this? The Sadducees were viewed as prominent men, the very ones who the people looked up to and respected. They were koanim. Can you imagine how they felt 
as Yeshua told the Sadducees that they didn't know Scripture. The very thing that these individuals claim to know. I mean, think about how humiliating that would be. Yet, they were wrong. And throughout Scripture, we always see Yeshua never missing an opportunity to correct those who are incorrect. Now, <clears throat> I've been referencing this uh, phrase, the day of the Lord, quite a bit today. And Yeshua refers to this day four times in John chapter 6, giving us an accurate eschatological understanding. And we're going to look at these, and I'm going I'm to show it to you uh, chronologically. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. We'll move on to verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And listen, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 44. No one can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I think it's pretty clear as to when we are going to be raised from the dead. It will be at the last day, the day of his coming. Now, I'm sure most of you here today have all heard the story of Lazarus, right? Well, Lazarus was a man who was terribly sick, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they send for Yeshua to come and heal him. But Yeshua, knowing what he was going to do, decides to stay where he was for two more days, and then decides to come to them. But on his way to Bethany, Yeshua says the following to his disciples. This is interesting. Listen to this. He says this, John eleven eleven. These things Yeshua said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. Yeshua used this word, sleeps. But I go that I may wake him up. Verse 12. Then he said to his disciples, uh, Lord, uh, then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, will he get well? Verse 13. However, Yeshua spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Yeshua said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. That's interesting because in verse 11, Yeshua says that Lazarus sleeps. See, Yeshua is equating death to just sleeping because that's what it is for the righteous. It's resting from their labors. Now, Yeshua finally comes to Bethany. And, uh, and we get to verse 21, and, he's, and this is what happens. Now Martha said to Yeshua, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Yeshua said to her, your brother will rise again. Now look closely at what Martha 
says to Yeshua in the next verse. Listen how she responds to her teacher. John eleven twenty four. Martha says to Yeshua, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Here we see Martha, a woman of God, telling Yeshua that Lazarus would indeed rise from the dead. Martha was a student who listened to her rabbi's teachings. I suspect that she herself was sitting and listening to Yeshua teach earlier in John chapter 6, because here we are in John chapter 11, and Martha is literally repeating exactly what Yeshua taught in John chapter 6. Now, I find this to be a beautiful statement, because think about how gratifying this statement was to our Lord, who sees Martha without hesitation, exclaiming that she knows her brother will rise again at the last day. The student was simply repeating what she learned from her teacher back to her teacher. Now, <clears throat> we're going to end here for today. Next week, we'll continue on with the resurrection of the dead. And I am going to answer a lot of tough questions uh, that are probably running through your mind. Uh, but you're going to have to come back next week to hear about those questions. So may the Lord bless you and shalom.